Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is a special edition of the Armour Playable podcast brought to you by MasterCard. On today's episode, we go through the career of a former Australian captain, undefeated test cricketer, World Cup winner, self-proclaimed whitewash wizard, ambidextrous thrower, unorthodox batter, natural redhead, and soon-to-be national selector, George Bailey. Welcome, George. Thanks, Sam. Did I miss anything there? Uh, well, I hope I stay a redhead. This the selector role. I hope it doesn't stress me out and turn me into a, the, a grey Silver ghost. Fox. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, great. Uh, thank you for coming on. We're going to go over your illustrious career, which is coming to an end very shortly. Yes, it is, and I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, the old the old saying of um, you know everyone's always said you'll know you'll know when it's time um, is is spot on. So can't wait for the playing bit to finish. But really excited the fact that I get to stay involved in the game. So that's sort of I think that's probably been made the transition um, in my mind anyway a lot easier. All right, let's go right back to the start, back to the eighteen hundreds. Uh, your great grandfather, great 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 grandfather yeah. George H. Bailey? Yeah, George Herbert. Played uh, for Tasmania. So was cricket always in the, in the blood, I guess? Was it always a thing growing up? Um, well, it was, but not, not because of him. Well, maybe it was, and maybe that's been the link through. But, I mean, I, I played because Dad, Dad played. Yep. Um, and that's probably how it's worked through the generations. And, you know, but but mum, mum was sporty too. Mum played hockey and tennis, and Dad, Dad would play cricket and tennis. So... Um, so it was a childhood filled with with balls and bats and and you know things to hit. So that was always um, that was just part of the part of everywhere we went. That was the, oh, that's my, one of the most recurring memories I have as a child is just playing playing sport every everywhere we went. When did you know that cricket was going to be your thing? Uh, thirty two, I think it's thirty two. <laughs> um, I well, that's it. I I didn't. Um, and I, I guess leading up to retiring, you start to spend a bit more time reflecting on this stuff and, and trying to think back to when I knew um, I was a champ. I mean, we were, we were, my generation's quite lucky in that I think we were the, the first generation. Well, my first year was a rookie contract and I, it was the first year that they came out. So that must be 2001, I reckon. Yeah, two. Yeah, yeah. 2001, two. Um, so, I mean, that... But I... I so I was a cricketer, I guess, from that point on. But I didn't know if I, that if that meant I was going to make it as a cricketer, or, or and what making it meant. Um, you know, it's extraordinary now that T Twenty didn't exist then. Yeah. So that, you know, even that. So now, which has played such a huge part in my in my career. Um, so thinking back to then, it's um, it's a long time ago. Um, but I was at the stage where if it, it didn't, if I wasn't a cricketer, it would have been okay. I was never. It was never something that. Um, I wasn't a, a, um, a Tim Payne, I think, who was sort of, you know, destined to had, had cricket in his veins and, re- you know, was always going to be a cricketer. Mm. What were you going to be if you weren't a cricketer? 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I would have. I mean, I only went to, I, I studied a bit of business at uni, but purely because a couple of mates were and it looked pretty cruisy and... The social um, scene was good. Yeah, possibly teaching, I reckon. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mr. Bailey. Looking, looking, looking back. Um, but, yeah, not particularly ambitious. <laughs> I would have done as little as possible. Glad all the, uh, the eggs were in that one basket. Yeah, that's they right. They all hatched. Yeah. Uh, okay, 2002, under-19 World Cup for Australia in New Zealand. Australia took out that title. Some of your teammates in that tournament, Sean Marsh, Cameron White, Xavier Doherty, Mark Cosgrove, Craig Simmons, and Dan Christian, just to name a few. Um, you won the final, beat South Africa by seven wickets. Scorecard tells me that you ran at Hashim Amla. Remember Correct. that? Yes, I, I do. Direct yep. hit? Yeah, it was, underarm. Underarm? Yeah, yeah, he dipped one into cover and tried to take me on, but Dan Christian and I had been patrolling port and cover pretty well throughout that tournament. Um, it was a big wicket, even at that stage, Hash was, um, he was... He was a gun, and yep. we knew he was the he was the wicket we needed to get. Graham Smith opened the batting in that team as well, so a fairly packed South African team. What are your memories of, of that tournament and that group of players? I remember, I think you've spoken before, how Cam White was one of the best captains you've played under. Yeah, he was he was extraordinary. It was a, it was a really good team, um, and a bit of a theme I think when you look at those really successful Australian under nineteen teams, not just ours, but the vast majority seem to go on in those years and play um, first-class cricket um, or one-day cricket or, you know, a T20 cricket of some, of some description, not necessarily internationally, but at, at a first-class level. And that, that's a pretty good effort, I reckon. Um, that team was, well, yeah, we were really good. Um, Wayne Phillips was, was our coach and his great gift, I think, was getting us to relax and, and be able to play, um, play with a, quite a bit of freedom. Um, he, uh, <laughs> we, one of our early games, we were, we were based down in Dunedin for our, for our group games, which was a gun spot, uni town, and, um, and in typical World Cup fashion, long breaks between games. So um, 18 to 19 year old boys, there was, was plenty to do. Yeah, it was good fun. Um, and so we got, I think we got, we got 480 against Kenya, yeah. which was a yeah, pretty, it's a good score. Yeah, you're yeah win more in, games in a one-day game, those, you're pretty, yeah, you're pretty yeah. confident. And we were—I don't think we were carrying on too much, but we got into the change rooms, and I think it sort of dawned on us that, like, whoa, that's that's a pretty big score. That's pretty that's funny. Five hundred. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, and sort of going around the room, and yeah, you hit some big sixes, and you you batted quickly, and I think Sauce got a big big hundred, and um, I think Whitey might have got a hundred. Well, if you got, I think nearly everyone who batted got a hundred that yeah. day. It was pretty, and uh, but then yeah, the. Wayne Phillips walks in, the door slams, deadpan looking, he's just staring us all down. He said, I can hear laughter out in the hallway. What are you blokes doing? Flip, we've got 480. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, you blokes, you want to switch on here, lads. Now, if I know Kenya, they're probably going to want the bonus point and they're going to come pretty hard at us here. <laughs> <laughs> and that, just that way of being able to... The, you know, his point was we were halfway through the game. Yeah, just stay switched on. But his way of being able to deliver his his messages was pretty good. One point about three hundred, didn't he? They got so they got fifty, about fifty, yeah, and right. they were and at one stage they were five for nine, and one of their opening batters had retired with cramp because he was scared of uh, of, Some of, the quicks. of facing our quick. So he came back out. I think when they were eight or nine down and we were bowling spin, and whacked a couple, and they got to fifty. So that was a 
Our net run rate was pretty good yeah, from that point you're, on. You were pretty confident <laughs> getting into the final after that. Um, not long after, uh, a week in fact, you made your one-day debut for the Tigers. Uh, one day against Victoria at the MCG. Made 33 and were out to Cameron White of all people. Was I? Yeah, I don't remember the dismissal, not doubting it. Uh, I, d- I do remember I ran Dan Marsh out, uh, the start of my illustrious That's running between great. wickets career. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so that was, that was actually a really great wake-up call. I think Xavier Doherty, who, you know, a great mate and someone I played all my junior cricket with um, for Tassie and, and so much of my Tasmanian and Australian career with, he, he debuted the game before we went to the World Cup. Um, in a one day in Launceston, and on, um, and then to get so to get that chance in the last one day of the year, um, and coming back from the World Cup, we thought we thought we were pretty good, and we, mm. we you know we'd taken down the world and we'd whacked a few. And I remember facing um, Damien Fleming and Paul Rifle. I think also played that game. Gee, that makes me sound old. Oh, doesn't it? When and. I don't think Flem was fast by that stage. I, I think he was sort of past his... Like, the back think, end. Yeah. yeah. Um, but trying to defend the ball and blocking the ball when the ball was still going to slip just because of the... It was just a different pace to anything that... Um, it's that, not quite Kenyan speed, is it? No, that's it. <laughs> you know, that's it. So... And, and just that, just men bowling versus, you know, under nine. There were some quick bowlers in under 19s, but it's a different, it's a different quick at that level. So that was, um, that was a good wake-up call, but a, a great opportunity. And that was the great thing about that, the setup of having your, um, your shield games and your one-day games the way they were back then is that it, it gave so many of us our, our, a crack at a one-day game late in a year, mm. um, which for me was awesome because it just it let me know, ah, oh, that's what it's like at that level and then that's what I need to work on or that's the you know that's the standard that it sets for your training throughout the that next pre-season um so it was good and it, you know different one day cricket I mean I think I think Victoria got about 190 and I don't think we got them or something yeah it was it was low scoring yeah affair. low scoring affair uh, they had to wait almost three years to make your first class taboo uh that was against New South Wales at the SCG that was in December 2004 made seven in the first innings Zero in the second. It was a draw. Um, did you get a cap presentation? Uh, was it was it like that back then? I, don't, I can't remember. I don't think so. Um, did you feel? What did it feel like to wear the whites and, and play for Tassie? One of the recurring themes in my career, right back from grade cricket, is that um, I've, I've I've been very fortunate that, that people have seen something in me that I haven't um, necessarily being able to prove so I think I'd played about I don't know goodness knows how many second 11 games and to this day my highest second 11 score is 40 I just was useless right um and so I think I'd, I'd by that stage I was doing okay in the one day team um and it and they got to the point where they gave me an opportunity in the in the four day in the four day team and I hadn't really done much to earn it to be honest um but then seemed to find a way, um, you know, in that first innings. But having said that, I mean, I got 70 and I think I got caught at long on against Stewie McGill. But why you'd even be trying to Take him do on. that? And then same thing, thought, you know, right, I've got this. I can do first class cricket. And then second innings, reverse swing and, yeah, stumps everywhere. About, yeah, four balls in. Um, so, but there was, yeah, same thing. I think there were three or four games to go that year. And then it was just, a, I just got 20s and 20s and... 
Um, I probably wasn't going to be in the team the following year to start the following year and then we were playing a uh, as you do a game of uh, touch football warming up pretty close like a week or two weeks before the start of the season kick on the last and um, and somehow Dan Marsh and Michael Dighton had slipped and tumbled and um, Dan broke his collarbone and jeez um, collision yeah which meant there was a there was a spot up for grabs um, and so two days later we go on our pre-season trip um, to, you know before the first game up to Malulaba and it was basically a bat off between myself and Michael Dighton my team batted f- first I, I nicked a ball second ball two dights at second slip who dropped me and I went on to get 100 in the practice game second innings he nicked a ball to me at second slip and I caught it and he got about four and that was the wow. that was the sliding doors moment that um, that got me the game to start that next season and that was it, yeah. But it's lucky. You needed a lot of luck. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, that team you did a boot in had Michael Bevan in it. Uh, that was one of the big things in, in Tassie, getting a, a season pro down there. Yep. I think they were targeting Andy Bickle, but uh, couldn't prize him away from, from Queensland. So they got Michael Bevan. Interesting character. Have you got a great Michael Bevan story? Yeah, my favourite. So I, I, I mean, Bev was polarising. I really enjoyed um, the opportunity to work with him and... Um, and spent time with him. I, I didn't really. I mean, he's, off the field, he's quite relaxed and liked his music, and um, you know, great to great to just chat about the world with the deep thinker. Um, and that's where I think he's. He, I was very different to him. So one day we walked into the Tassie Indoor Nets, and we we're going to do a session on the short ball. Um, so I got down to the started tap the bat, thinking right, we're about to. Bev will put the first one into the bowling machine, away we'll go, and he was just about to, and he said, hang on, before we start, just talk to me about what's going through your mind when you're about to play the short ball. And so we pre- proceeded to have this conversation, and it just got deeper and deeper and off course, and, and we go on to this great, you know, off this great journey of conversation about your mindset and where you're at, and, then, and so half an hour later, we still haven't hit a ball, <laughs> Bev taps me on the shoulder and says, mate, great chat, great chat, I don't think we need to hit any balls today. Session done. And I was thinking that's... That's not kind of how it works. I don't know about that. <laughs> um, and that was the end of... Yeah, that was the end of the, the training session. Um, and I've heard, you know, similar... He just, he, you know, he can get... He can, he can head off on some pretty amazing tangents. But he's... I mean, obviously, I think he broke the Shield yeah. run record while he was down there. Um, uh, played a huge part in us winning our first one-day title. Just having... I mean, you know, best, one of the best one-day players ever. Um, and his ability to to control run chases and stay calm, um, trust in his own game, so and all those things. I think as young players, whether we knew it or not, we were we were absorbing, um, you know, the way he went about it. Yeah. So that season that uh, Dyton dropped in, you took his catch. That was oh five oh six. Ended up playing ten games, scored three hundreds, average mid forties. Uh, you made an hundred coming in your fourth game of that season. A match-winning second innings hundred of 117 against WA the Wacker. Tazzy were chasing 348 to win, and they got there. What was that feeling like? Contributing to a big Tigers win. So that that game was. I mean, I've never been, but it would have been. That was I was I was on my last chance. I reckon that was really? I, I just I'd started same thing as how I'd finished year before 2020, dark 2020. Not really contributing enough to to hold my place. Um, 
Matthew Innes opening the bowling for Western Australia in the first innings and just used to swing the ball prodigiously both ways and first innings I think I'd left a couple of out swingers and lunged into a huge arms in the air leave only to see the ball thud into my shin first innings for about two or something so I thought right I want a hiding to nothing here Um, and second innings I've always enjoyed batting and I reckon there's a bit of a theme um, with my, when there's when there's something to take my mind off focusing on my score or the way I'm going to bat so the second innings there was a target um, so I was never that concerned about my my score it was just about trying to get to that target trying to get to that target um, but it was it was you know one of, it was great to get first hundred and relief and we're going really well and then but then there's that nerve-wracking moment because I got out and we needed about 20 runs to win, I yeah. think. Um, so it was that bittersweet moment of I might have just cost us the game. So it was, it was a big relief to get over the line. We hadn't won many games, so it was a you know, really good feeling. Um, and again, just made me feel like, you know what, I, I can actually do this. Maybe it gave me that feeling of sense of belonging. What did it feel like to, get, to be a part of the squad to win the, the first title? Yeah, it was huge. And it's... Um, well, I say that now, looking back, I mean, at the time, you're still young and you think, oh, this must happen all the time. I know it hadn't happened, but you're just in that naive, you just think, well, we're a good team, we'll win lots of things over the years. And this was in a sense of, not inevitable, but, you know, of course this happened. But then to walk off the ground, um, Booney was in tears, Jamie Cox in tears, and, yeah, just two of the greats of Tassie cricket and everything that they'd given um, to the game and to Tassie cricket um, to see what it meant to them um, and the you know the years that they'd got so close that was that was really special I think that um, that was a pretty a special moment for me um, to see what it meant to those guys um, and then we did we did a bit of a tour of Tassie uh, I think under the pretense that we were getting the we were taking the the shield. Well, it was I don't think it was the shield. I was think it was the pure the, cup. The, it was the cup. Yeah. Um, we were taking the cup back to Hilfie's hometown of Alveston. Um, so we sort of <laughs> did this amazing pub crawl around Tassie for three or four days, um, uh, which was you know, amazing to see. And it did. It, once again, you you sort of you're at the ground, but it meant nearly everyone in Tassie had been listening to it. Um, you know, as it happened, and it really it meant a lot to a lot of people around the state, and that was pretty special. Now, uh, 24, you became captain of Tasmania. Dan Marsh is out. Were you ready for that so early on? Uh, no, but you never. I mean, you never are until. Well, I never have been until you're sort of doing it, and then it it takes shape. Um, I was really lucky though that there were a couple of younger guys around Australia at the same time who were given captaincy roles and um, for some it didn't it was hard work I think the senior players weren't supportive Dan was really supportive Michael DiVenuto was particularly supportive you know guys who are, who um, in their own right might have wanted to, to do the job um, or th- thought that the, you know thought that they should have done it um, but they were all great um, in terms of allowing me to to run the team the way I wanted to run it but also you know would never call me out publicly or take control but always there to listen or to offer support or offer advice if um if I if I sort it out um or if I thought I was doing something that they didn't particularly agree with um or that the, you know the team needed something different so yeah great that that was um that was 
great to have someone like Dan in particular who had captained really well um, and was still there, um, but in a really helpful capacity. So 2009-10, that's when you took over the full-time captaincy at Tassie. And in 2010, you got your first call up to a national squad when you were cover for Michael Clark over there in New Zealand. He had to come back and sort some personal issues that was going on at the time. And you were in there the old, over in the New Zealand. engagement ring in the toilet thing, wasn't it, I think? Um, yes, um, which was great. I think we went... Um, I th- yeah, the, I mean, I, once again, I don't think I was in the mix to play. I remember um, the, the chat was... We, the, Australia wrapped up the series, so it was 2-0. There was one more to go, and I think um, most players were heading straight to the IPL um, from that series. And so there was a chat that, you know, maybe Mike Hussey or Ricky Ponting might not want to play the last one and you might get a, a game. And I remember being present while that idea was floated past Mike Hussey and Ricky Ponting and uh, it was quite clear that the opportunity to play for Australia, regardless, <laughs> was uh, not something that either of those two were going to pass up, which was fine. I mean, I, I wasn't particularly keen to make my debut under those circumstances. Mm. I wanted, felt like he wanted to earn it. Um, but awesome to be around your, your heroes like that and then, yeah, and jetted out straight away, I think, to my, to the, my first IPL experience. What was that like? It was awesome. That was, um, I've said, like, in terms of my life learning, I think I learnt more in that six or seven weeks in that first IPL than I, than I had done in my, uh, you know, previous cricketing, cricketing education combined. Um, I was in a good headspace of... Um, of just being open to, to trying any, I just I just finished reading Yes Man. Oh which, yeah, uh, great movie, Jim Carrey. Well, I don't know if it is. The book was okay. But anyway, so <laughs> the, you know, for those that haven't, the, the premise is this bloke. I think it was based on a true story. Just for twelve months, decided he was going to say yes to absolutely everything that um, was offered to him, just to see where it where it took his life and um, you know what were the downsides of. It. So I thought, yeah, well that works. I'll I'll have a crack at that for the IPL. Um, you know, who were you with? Were you with Chennai? With Chennai. Yep. Um, so we had um, Stephen Fleming's first year as coach, um, Donny Rayner, a uh, couple of, you know, we had, gun, we had this gun Indian team, but then so we had Hayden, Murali, yeah. uh, Freddie Flintoff, Macarantini. Um, it, was a, it was a gun team. Um, and, you know, all, all these guys who were sort of pretty high up in, in their national teams as well, as far as leaders. So, that pecking order was really inter- interesting, trying to see who sort of came out on top there. Um, but so throwing myself into, you know, Mackay and Tini likes to would like to run to the ground, um, but it's like 15 k's and stuff. But I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll go with you. So he <laughs> he broke me a few times, and then obviously Fred likes a drink, so I'd say yes to that. And the next thing you know, it's 4 a.m. and you he started calling me the pot plant killer. Yeah, uh, that's where I'd try and tip my siders to keep up with him um <laughs> so yeah just throwing myself into it extra trainings watching these guys learning um i don't th- oh, i might have played a couple of games but um yeah but just being part of it and seeing seeing how it all went was awesome all right after a run of good one day campaigns for tassie you earn your first international cap as captain no less uh the first time an australian's made their debut as skipper since uh old mate dave gregory back in 1877 the first test match can you recall the phone call? Can you remember what it was like? Was it, was it T20? Yeah. 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 Um, so your memory is pretty strong. Yeah. Well, I, 
we, were ha- we had a Shield game in Canberra earlier that year and, um, and Rod Marsh invited me out to dinner, um, which wasn't odd because I think we'd played, because we'd had Dan in our team, we had a good relationship with Rod. He was your coach in 2002 in the, uh, oh no, football, forget that. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, I never had Rod at the academy, um, but it but sort of knew him well socially, felt very comfortable. You never sort of saw him as the head selector. So yeah, no worries, we'll go out for dinner and going to introduce you to this, this um, other fella, John in Verarity. Um, and they took me out for dinner and just started grilling me on players around Australia and now what about this guy and is he a good player and what do you think about his temperament and personality and so we sat through and had dinner and that's you now and yeah and Rod uh, Rod Luce and up with a couple of red wines and they were telling old war stories and it was pretty good it was like it was a relaxed night and good fun but I didn't sort of think anything of it and then the next day I think Rod rang and said look we we think we're going to install you as captain of the T20 team um just keep in the you know back of your mind and have a think about it how you go and I was thinking Jesus um, and then so I think that was the first year of the Big Bash I was at the Stars I didn't have a particularly good year um, and all the while with that bubbling away in the background um, just sort of this growing burden that oh God I'm not really putting my hand up here to to earn the spot so it was a baptism of fire and walking into that first you know that first team meeting. As you said, first game and captain. Um, I just decided that I, well, I'd, I'd try and do it. I don't know if it was going to work or not. I don't know if I'll, I, but I'm going. I'll, I'll have a crack, and if I fail, I fail. No stress. But I'd rather say yes. I'll, I'll try and do it. Yeah. And, yeah. But Mike Hussey and Shane Watson and Brett Lee and you know, they're so experienced. And same thing. I mean, I, I don't know if any of them wanted the the role, but all for all intents, you know, any of them could have done it um so my, i think and i think that had a really f- formative way of shaping the way that i ended up captaining because what I, I became very collaborative i wanted to make sure that the senior players were on board mm. i wanted to make sure i had their buy-in so i wasn't standing at the front of the group saying something and then i'd know that behind closed doors the senior players were thinking something completely different um so there was a lot, you know, a lot of time spent making sure that the message, we're all on the same page, I guess, and the, the way I wanted to take the team, that they were on board and they were part of it. And, and, and you know, one, because they were our best players, um, and two, um, because I wanted the, the unity of the team. Um, that, was, that was always the, the key focus. A couple of months later, you make your ODI debut. Uh, and then for the next four years, you're pretty much in the one-day team. When did you feel like you belonged at international level? I didn't ever really yeah which and I wish I had um looking back but I always felt and I mean I was never told this but I just always felt like my spot was under the the pump I was the one that it was only ever going to take a couple of failures for them to to look at someone else um and it it might that might have been the thing that sort of drove me a little bit um and I think because of my age I knew if I did get dropped, I might probably wasn't going to get a second a second bite at the cherry. So there's always that. Well, at the start, it was a little bit of fear, and by the end, I think it was one of the great things because I made sure that I enjoyed our trips, and um, you're never sure if you're going to get back to Sri Lanka or India, so you make sure you really enjoy it. Um, so yeah, that was. I mean, it was a great, a great period. One day cricket 
we, you know, we were building, I guess, at that stage up to, to what was going to be the 2015 World Cup. So there was some structure around the team and the way we wanted to play and that was a, you know, a slow build to, to, um, to a special time. Yeah, 2013 was a big year for you, George. Uh, February, you make your maiden one-day century for Australia. 125 not out against the West Indies at the Wacker. Good to get that, the monkey off the back there. Um, yeah, it was. I mean, I don't... Batting at... What was I batting at? Five, four or five. Five, I reckon. You, not, you don't necessarily get lots of opportunities to get hundreds. Um, but that day, I think we're in... Same sort of thing. We're in some early trouble. Um, the 10 o'clock start at, at mm. the Wacker can mean that it can be hard work for a, for a period of time there. So, um, again, to, just completely took the focus off my score and it was about just trying to bat through the 50 overs. I think I batted for a little while with, with James Faulkner um, that day, which was quite, quite special. A couple of Tassie boys out in the middle. And then it was only right at the end that it sort of, you know, we actually managed to rebuild the innings enough to have a bit of a crack in the mm. last sort of five or six overs and, and get it up to a decent score. Um, so it was I mean, a good feeling, but more because of that, because of the, we were in trouble. Um, we needed help. And I started to pride myself a little bit on that in the one-day team. At the end of the day, the day that Davey Warner and Aaron Finch go nuts at the top, um, it didn't really matter what you did at, at four or five, but it was the days where you were, we were in trouble that mm-hmm. I, that's where I felt like I could have the best impact. A couple of months later, Tasmania wins their third Shield title uh, and Ricky Ponting was in the side. That yeah, make it that a bit was more special. special. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. Um, yeah, he'd done everything. Um, and had he had basically, I think he had nearly that entire Shield year with us. So great to have him in the group. And if, um, I think for him, it was about just getting back and still really enjoying the game and proving to himself that he was still a good player. I think by the end of his test stuff, it was almost a mental thing um, that he was, and it was you know, eating him. But then he came back and just you know, dominated some, some good attacks and played some extraordinary innings for us. Um, so that was pretty special to have him. In the rooms, um, and yeah, just a, a, a similar. I think the, the interesting thing about that year was the I th- we needed it was a tight, tight shield table, and I reckon coming into round nine, second last game of the year, we were we were pretty deep on the on the list, about fourth or fifth, um, but a, a real logjam. So the the beauty was every team we were playing needed to win as well. So there was you could set up these pretty. Um, specky run chases on last days and things and both you know both teams needed to push for wickets or push for runs um and so the first game i think we had victoria at bell reeve set them a run chase and eventually they shut up shop and we were just pushing pushing and you know i'm sure as i get older but it felt like you know it was getting dark it can't have been long to go and we had about four short legs and people fielding everywhere hilf bowling to um Hilf bowling to big John Hastings and bowled him a bounce of the road and I think Silky was almost fielding on the on the wicket just for that ball that just drops straight down and that so that snuck us six points I think so we took six or seven wickets in the last session of the last day to mm. get to win that one um, and then we go to the Gabba for the last round and same sort of thing I, I think we set them 300 off about 60 overs um, and they were blowing out we're not even going to go for them we you know but they had to. I mean, if they wanted, they wanted yeah. to be in the Shield final, so they were going to have a, a bit of a crack. Um, and the same sort of thing. I think they they had a bit of a dip early, then shut up shop. Um, and Luke Butterworth bowled a phenomenal spell, and I think we took six wickets in the last session of that 
game just to even get get to the final, um, yeah. which was pretty cool. And then you win it with Panther. Was it, well, it was a draw. It was an awful oh, you, wicket. You Terrible. Which is the one thing I don't like about Shield finals. I've I've long been an advocate. And the only downside to my plan is that you know quite often you wouldn't have a home team playing at their home venue. But I think the Shield final just should be rotated each year to a different venue. A so that you know where it's going to be held, um, and the curator can be ready for it. And so and then it just makes. The, the best wicket he can so mm. we're not getting these flat wickets which ends up being you know, a batting session and the top team wins and it's you know I don't I don't think we're seeing the best cricket that we final. yeah that we could though having said that I think now that you know they've brought in that the bonus point thing that's that's a, that's made it for that's made for better cricket um, but I just remember that year against Queensland it was just a Really, really terrible. Week. Having said that, I think we were about five for twenty in our second innings. Ryan Harris ripped through us, That's right. and then uh, yeah, some rear guard action from Jimmy Faulkner, Tim Payne, and Luke Butterworth. You're a voice of influence now, so you can make those changes. Certainly, bring them to the table. Well, every year it sounds like the, they're going to can the Shield final. Yeah. It's hanging on, hanging on. I think the new broadcast deal long? revived it. Has it extra yeah, game? Nice one. Uh, October, India. You absolutely dominate. Uh, what 478 runs at 95 uh, a pulsating series India win at 3-2 uh, you get 156 I think your top one day score there uh, you also beat Mitch Johnson in the final of the table tennis tournament so lots of wins on that, on that uh, tour can you remember memories of that tour because that was um, almost a watershed tour for you yeah it was a good it was a fun trip um, I think Steve Rickson took us I think Buff might have had that was it if was Buff coach then? Uh, yep. Jeez, my memory's bad, isn't it? Um, just went the ashes. So this is yes, yeah. right. So Buff has it off. So Steve, it was just a good feeling of um, of camaraderie. The wickets were, un- I mean, to put that in context, we were plundering some pretty big scores, and yeah. India, India were chasing them down three fifty minimum so easily. Um, so it was a it was a yeah, just to put that in. I mean, I think everyone averaged about ninety in that series. Um, so it was, it was, but yeah, it was topsy-turvy series, some amazing individual performances. Jimmy Faulkner hit an incredible 100 in Mahali. Um, Clint Mackay and, and Mitch Johnson. That was the only disappointing thing. I mean, it were, in hindsight, it worked really well. They took Mitch, it was two all going into the, the last game and they flew Mitch Johnson home um, to prepare for the Ashes, uh, which worked out okay, obviously. Um, but that, I mean, that, that broke my heart a bit because we'd worked so hard. India were a gun team. We were, we were competing and he was, our, you know, he was our point of difference just in terms of pace to be able to... Um, so I got while they did it, but I, I, didn't, I didn't like it. You know, for one... He was going to bowl 10 more overs. It was going to be one more day or something. Yeah. But anyway. Um, yeah, and, he was, and that game was pretty extraordinary too. I think, you know, I think, they, I think Rohit Ham, Sharma got 200. I think Moses came on as 12th man and dropped him and he was on about 140 and but in like the 47th oh no no 45th or something yeah. and we're like well that's all right it's not going to cost us too much and he ended up getting no, 60 200 <laughs> um and we for, for a little while there we were we were a chance to get it i think what i what i injured himself um but came out and absolutely blitzed them and he cut a ball off the spinner and he cut it into Donny's knee and the ball ricocheted to point and they caught it and caught it got him yeah yeah 
But good series, good fun. Okay, so then uh, you come back home. Strayed lost the Ashes in England 3-0. Big crisis meeting was held in Sydney, like a, a batting conference. All the heads, all the state coaches were in attendance. The national selectors, I think Rod Marsh ran the show. I was there for some reason. I'm not sure why. I was yeah, right. Comms guy. But I remember going to that, that conference thing. Ricky Ponting did all the talking. The big takeaway from the batting conference was watch the ball closely. Was it? That was it. That was revolutionary. That was punters. Yeah. Yep. Watch the ball. Um, anyway, on the way to the uh, on the way to that 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 uh, batting crisis conference, I'm in the front seat of a cabin behind me. Uh, Rod Marsh, Darren Lehman, and Greg Chappell. So, GC wasn't a selector at that time, but Rod was, and Buff was the coach. They're talking about who was going to bat six at the Gabba in the first test, and I'm throwing some names around, and your name was amongst them. I'm going, oh, should I be listening to all this stuff? But uh, sure enough, I wasn't a reporter back then, but um, I was thinking, George is this close to getting a test call. Did you have a think? Did you think that you were, you were close after that India series and you'd made some shield runs and you'd been around the Australian setup that well, you I don't know if I had made any shield runs, had I? Well, I mean, through your career, but... Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I... This is something that I'm, I will try and remember as a selector because I think what's really important is to pick, pick people when they're going well. Um, and I guess I was in one-day cricket, but I didn't feel like I was batting particularly well in shield cricket. And purely because we'd played so much one-day stuff, I just felt like I hadn't had a, a run at it to get, um, to get some games and get my, get my technique and everything sorted for red ball cricket. So I... I, and again, I believe, looking back, if I just, if I, and this has been a, another recurring, I mean, I'm, I think I work things out if you give me long enough. If I'd got longer than the five tests, I think I would have worked it out. I don't think it would have been a gun. I don't think I would have played 80 tests, but I would have, I would have put some better numbers up than I did. Because um, I remember seeing you before that, that Gabba test match, that first test. Yeah. And you were doing extra net sessions and you are fiddling with things and you yeah, pretty stressed always fiddling I mean that's that's the way I've always batted my only regret is that I, tr- I think I tried to bat a certain way and I wish I'd batted the way I wanted to bat which possibly would have copped a bit of ridicule because the technique might have been a bit different but I would have at least done it done it my is way this when you would have been facing no I wouldn't have been that, like that, that but I would have been more closed off than, than what I was um, but having I mean I said that I mean I, I would not that was the greatest summer I mean I, we just cricket was um, amazing um, we had an extraordinary team um, and it, you know, it ends up being 5-0 but certainly the first few tests each game was on a knife edge yep. um, and someone you know, had had batted extraordinarily well throughout the series and our bowlers were unreal I mean it was an absolutely gun gun lineup. Um, Mitch Johnson Ryan Harris Sids and, and Nathan Lyon um, and what I was back up if you, yeah. if you needed a couple of spare overs it was um, incredible and by the end I mean England were just shell shocked that Sydney test they, were, they, were, they had four or five players they were playing guys out of position the only one who really stood up all series was, um, was Stokesy um, and even then you could see he was you know, just a competitor he just loved the, loved yep. the challenge um, so that summer was just awesome love, love being part of it and it's one of those things you look back and say, oh, you know, if I'd done it differently, but I wouldn't have wanted to change the result. So would you do it again? No, because it's like it was, it was perfect the way it was. I just didn't do particularly well individually. But you had two pretty good moments. The Jimmy Anderson stoush at the Gabba, 
you and him. Uh, was, uh, yeah, that's not a good moment, is it? Well, it's a memorable moment. Well, it's, you yes, can, it's funny, but it's... You can uh, dinner parties and uh, corporate events. You can dine out on that. Yeah, well, I could have, unless but, mm, cricket, and then, cricket Australia popped it on their websites and ruined it. Well, you can just should be getting royalties. You can, you can add to, it. and also the uh, Jimmy Anderson over at the whack. Yeah. So there was some. Yeah. You got a fifty in there. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was it. That was it. And you know, it was and you had the best seat in the house, feeling at short gun, leg with John It's the only time I've enjoyed it. It's the only time I felt like. Could you sense that felt some of those English players didn't want to yeah, face that? Yeah, bowling? you could. Yeah, I mean, I'm. Um, I don't. I, mean, I don't know what, but, but I, I'm friendly under there, and I would be chatting to most of the English players. Um, Jimmy was the only one who didn't really, but and not in an antagonistic way. Just you know, how are you going? How's the trip? All that sort of stuff. Um, and they were, they were, they were rattled and some gun players and they they were scared you could see yeah you could see fear and and nothing to be ashamed of that I and mean, i've been scared my whole life facing fast bowlers <laughs> but it was the scrutiny of an ashes series um is is different you know there's more you know there's more written about it the papers have more pages about it there's every every decision that's made every outcome seems to be analyzed that little bit more um and it, yeah, it's 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 always amazing. I reckon that the Ashes seems to make or break a lot of careers for both countries every time they roll around. Mm. That summer, as you said, Australia five nil undefeated in the Test matches, four one in the one days. Didn't lose at T Twenty. You were part of pretty much all that. Uh, I think I captained the one we lost. Oh really? At the Wacker, yeah. I think Pup Pup went down with something, and the series was over there. Was yeah, the fourth, it was. That was I mean, the fourth was, game. Yeah, wasn't we were it? cruising. Yeah, yeah. But it, no, it was good. It was gun summer, and the and the public lapped it up for some for some reason. There's just series on the back of I think our our fast bowling, Mitch in particular. Um, for, yeah, it just felt like a summer where the the public loved their cricket, mm. um, which was cool. Uh, 2013, great year. 13, 14 summer. Um, bittersweet moment where you get dropped from the, the test team to South Africa and then later that night you win the one day player of the year <laughs> AB medal um, did you did you sense that your test uh, days might have been over after oh, that oh yeah, so yeah, yeah. And, I, and I mean I think the way I've been going possibly fortunate even to get the the fifth test the fact that we're winning you know, and I appreciate the fact they didn't change a winning team so that was cool but um, yeah I mean one of those things you've got to I would have liked to have another crack just as I said I think I would have worked it out at some stage and being able to contribute more but um, but also now as a player unless you put performance on the board you don't really have a leg to stand on Um, but every now and then I've had those twinges of when I see guys get a second chance and a a third chance I think I just wish I'd you know Five tests. If you'd give me ten or just yeah. a couple more innings, might have been different. Having said that, South Africa, I'm not sure I would have liked facing. Staying bowlers, Morkel. I remember, you know, Michael Clark played an extraordinary innings over there. We're just getting absolutely peppered, and I was thinking, ah, might be good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Stick with my five. And how do you, um, how do you go when a selector says, I mean, you know, you didn't put the runs on the board, but do they say go back and make runs, or is it more specific? Go, go back and work on. Uh, playing on the front foot against fast bowling or handle the short ball better and we'll look at you again. I mean, yeah, is it, is and that, that was, I got quite, or? yeah, it was for me for, for that because it quite clearly I was, um, I had an issue technically outside the off stump just playing at balls. I didn't need to, didn't need to play. Um, I think I got out a few times pulling in the ashes as well, but that didn't worry me as much because I think I played that shot well. I just got out to it a few times. But the, the nicking was the one that, 
you know, that was, was hurting me. Um, so you can I handle the short blast of the Bevo Masterclass, right? I mean, yeah, you're, 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 yeah. you're in the right mind um, frame for that. So chatting to... Well, that was the one thing that I did. In the, in the Wacker test, I was, I, was tr- I was experimenting with batting with a squash ball. Gilly Chris. style, you mm. know, 100 in. So, and I sort of had visions of the same thing. Third test at the Wacker, Bailey uses squash ball, transforms test. <laughs> but what happened to me was Stuart Broad bowled me a short ball and I don't have very big hands, so having a squash ball in my glove, bottom hand completely came off the bat, lost control of the shot, caught it deep square leg. So, that, so my thing was like, squash ball's a disaster. I never <laughs> used it again. You actually had it in your glove? Had it in my glove. Um, and yeah, and just completely so I, Yeah, I think if you look at the footage of that, I end up, I play this one-handed pull shot. Um, I, don't think, I don't think any of the coaches even knew that I had a squash ball in my glove that day, but I haven't. So that's, there's, your, there's so a the, scoop, the un, la- unplayable scoop. The last time you used a squash ball? Absolutely. <laughs> Disaster. Uh, so you remain in the one-day team, uh, even though you're, you're at the test side now, and it's all leading towards the 2015 World Cup. Michael Clark does his hamstring or back in Zimbabwe, I think it was. He's out for most of the summer. He plays a couple of test matches, but... He's uh, he's on in the injury ward. So you uh, are the captain of the um, the first World Cup game against England, um, and then you go through and Australia win that. Uh, you only play the one game, undefeated World Cup captain. That's right, the only one that year. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean that was and same thing in the lead up to that. And that the 2015 World Cup is the only time I've coveted something. I I just I realised how special it was going to be. One. Well, one, to be around a one-day team when it's, there's a World Cup on, given it's only every four years. But two, to have it in Australia was going to be unreal um, on the back of uh, how special the, the Ashes summer had been. Um, I knew what it was like when the, you know, the public were going to get, get behind you the way that they were going to. And I, yeah, I just, in the lead-up, I reckon my 10 games in the lead-up to that World Cup, I was useless. Um, and, you know, so, but I, you know, by that stage, you, we, you, they're not changing the team. So, we got, got to it. And actually got a few runs in that first game against England in the World Cup. Yeah, so, at least it, I, I felt good about that, that I was, I felt I was batting because the pressure was off. We were actually at the World Cup then. So, I actually went back to just batting, which was good. Um, so, I felt like I'd made a contribution um, and felt like I'd been, uh, Pup had missed heaps of one-day cricket in the lead-up to that. So, I felt like I'd... Um, I'd had a contribution to the team and the shaping of it. Um, um, my claim to fame, I, I, was, I was the one. I mean, no doubt he probably would have ended up there anyway, but I think we'd been using Steve Smith at six or seven in the one-day team. And um, in Zimbabwe, I think we threw Mitch Marsh up to three in a game. And I um, made the suggestion, I think that should be Steve Smith because I, um, at that time, Mitch was, a, well, as he still is, could bludgeon the ball, but I couldn't see him batting for for the full innings, whereas I could see Smudger batting for 50 overs, making those key hundreds that you could bat around. Um, and that that recommendation was taken up and obviously that played a huge part and Smudger was three right throughout the World Cup and um, hasn't moved since. Uh, and the other thing was trying to convince Mitchell Johnson that I thought he could have a bigger impact as a first change bowler rather than a new ball. I think Josh Hazelwood and Starkey both... Um, probably swung the ball a bit more than Mitch was at that stage with the white ball um, and I've just thought swing with the 
in, at the start of a one-day game was key. And it might only, you know, there might be days where they might only bowl two overs. So it was, but for a fast bowler, particularly one like Mitch, that psyche of taking the new ball is quite big. So he that took a bit of time for him to understand that, you know, if those two guys can get us off to a good start, and then and then you come on and you know, as it, put yourself in the batter's shoes there that you get through the two opening bowlers and then you've got to deal with Mitchell Johnson. Yeah. Um, and that had a really good impact and I think Mitch did that role phenomenally well throughout the, throughout the World Cup. So they were two things that even though I wasn't on the ground, I felt like I'd been a, a part of sort of shaping that um, and just had a, just a gun. And we had uh, Paddy Cummins, Mitch Marsh, Xavier Doherty and I were the sort of the, the four guys that missed out most games um, and well, we had a good time. We, yeah. were, we were good off the field. <laughs> well, I was going to say, one of the great stories out there is after Australia win the final, you've got the orange vest on and you basically don't take it off for a while, do you? Yeah, well, there's a bit of, so the, the background of that was, so you have to wear the orange vest when you're the 12th man, which I get, I get, no stress, but World Cup final, we were batting. So when you're fielding, I get it, because the, you know, the 12th man could be on the boundary and you bat there batting, you think, you know, oh, that guy's fielding on the... You just... It's a visual thing. But when your team's batting, it's not like everyone's going to think, oh, they've got four blokes batting if you don't have your own vest on. <laughs> why has that guy got no battle yeah. pads on? So I didn't understand why the fielding team has to... Uh, why the batting team, the 12th man, has to do it. So I, before we go out, I said to the boys, so I know we have to wear orange... But I said, this is World Cup final. We've just bowled New Zealand out for 180. We're going to win this. We're going to win it easily. We're going to be running drinks and gloves out. Crowd's going nuts. I'm not wearing the orange vest over... My Australian top. This is, you know, this is World Cup final. This is, this is our team. And the boys are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So we do it. And we go out, first drinks or first time we run gloves out, two of us go out, come back, fourth umpire, you need your yellow vest on. And I said, I said to the umpire, I explained exactly what I've just said. Mate, World Cup final, we're not doing it. There's two batters. And he's, he goes, yeah, I get that. I'll, up to the match referee. Comes back. No, you need that orange vest on. Come on. I said, I'm not doing it. The other boys put their orange vests on. So, oh, let me down, you bastards. <laughs> anyway, I just refused, dug my heels in. Anyway, Gav Dovey, who's the team manager at the time, comes down and says, Bales, you're killing me. Like, I've got the match referee ringing up, going off. We're gonna, and I said, Gav, don't you stress about it. I've said to them, they can find me. I don't care what the fine is, but, you know, this is what I'm going to do. So he was blown. He was furious. Match referee was furious. Fourth umpire was furious. Um, never got fined. Uh, but then we won it, and I thought, beauty, I'll throw it on now. So then I think <laughs> I threw it on after that, wore it the next day to the ticker tape parade, and I think, it's the, I think that and a, a screw out of the World Cup trophy are the only two sort of mementos that I have got. Now you played another 33 games uh, in 50-over cricket for Australia. Uh, you scored your third 100 against uh, India at the Wacker, but uh, December 2016, after a bit of a lean run, um, so I think you're six innings without getting to 30 before that against New Zealand. That was it. International career over. Yeah, which I was disappointed with I, at the time. I didn't. I think at the time I think they picked Linney for that next series, and I couldn't begrudge that. But um, I didn't like the I didn't like the fact that they just said your last six games because it was another one of those things where. Yeah, the six games, there had been no runs. But if you actually looked at the context of the games, I hadn't need to get any runs. One of those games, I think, was at Canberra, and I ended up, I was zero not out of yeah. zero balls, batting at eight, because we'd thrown in a few of the big hitters. Um, I left that one out, actually. I didn't count that in the six. Yeah, yeah. like, a, it's just... I, I looked through them and thought, yeah, there were some missed opportunities there, but we were still winning 
um, the games pretty comfortably. And I, I, don't, I think I'd even flag with Buff. I, I was sort of hoping to get to the Champions Trophy that winter in, in England. Um, and I was gonna, that was going to be it for my international stuff anyway. So I, I'd, I had an end point in mind and I felt like I could still really contribute to that team over there. I think our last two one-day series in England, I'd been the leading run scorer. I'd played lots of cricket in England, played really good one-day cricket in England and backed myself, I guess, as a, as a senior player to have an impact um, in that tournament. Um, so it hurt a bit the fact that they, they just kept fiddling with who was batting in that middle order and they um you know they were trying to it looked like they were just trying to put power hitters in there um and it wasn't working and and the champions trophy was a bit of a, a disaster um and I, you know i felt like i could have made a, a bit of a difference there mm. but still you know certainly don't begrudge looking back um i yeah i never expected to play any games for australia so to actually have played that long and have the impact and had some pretty good moments and memories and some great series um go to all the places we did was awesome. How did the uh, selected job come about? Well, I think, uh, well, it was well known that there was a spot that was eventually going to come up once, once GC um, moved out of that role. So I, I just, I don't know really how it, how it came to, I mean, I just started giving it some thought. I, I think there's some things that can be done better at selection. So, um, and I think there's, and I think we can make the um, the process, but not necessarily in terms of even picking different people, but just the process of involving the state coaches and, and making... And sometimes I feel like it's a little bit out of line um, what coaches and high performance and... Yeah. So, yeah, just trying to streamline that process and get everyone on the same page. Um, and that's from a player's point of view. I've felt sometimes a bit like that, out of the loop, I guess. Um, so it's just a way of... I don't think I'd be a, a particularly <laughs> good coach um, at this stage of my life. And just so, you know, um, I just wanted to stay involved in the game, feel like I can have a really positive impact um, and feel like I've got a, a good sense of what players' um, expectations are. And that's, I mean, I, rightly or wrongly, I feel like my role as a selector is almost, I'm a servant to the players. These guys are... are busting their backsides to try and play for Australia. Some of them are going to get the opportunity and some aren't, but my role is to make sure that I'm giving them as much information about the things that they can be doing to give themselves the best chance. Um, and then once they're there, um, you're trying to make sure that they're there for as long as they, mm. they possibly can be. Um, and then when they you know, have their period where they're not going so well and, and they fall out of that team, just making sure that they, they're in a really good mindset and headspace to get back to playing good cricket to get them back up you know just that cycle of of making sure they understand that for many of them when they do get dropped um it doesn't necessarily have to i know at the time it feels like ah oh, bugger that's my yeah that's it but um you know the great thing for australian cricket is we want selection to be really really hard that's i think that's where we've seen some of our our best players mike hussey had to wait for ages and ages you know maddie hayden um, you know, second-hand story is that by the time he got his second chance playing test cricket, he he felt like he should have been there for two years. Mm. So he walked in and he was like, "I've earned this. I should have been here two years ago. I'm going to absolutely dominate." I like I like that sort of. You want that depth. You want it, you want some players to be desperately unlucky to not be in the team. Are you ready yourself to drop a player? Yeah, well, I've, I've uh, you know, unfortunately, I've had to, and as um, I was 
for a number of years while I was captain of Tasmania, I was a selector. Um, so I've done, I mean, I've had to do that to some of my closest mates and knowing that um, when you do it, that would be the last time that they would probably get an opportunity. Um, and then the next day, you, you know, you're taking your kids around to their house for a barbecue. So it's, it's, there's no easy way to do it. Um, but I have learnt and been told over the years and even my own experience about being dropped um, people don't want bullshit excuses about it they want hit, hit them with the absolute truth mm. even if they don't like it or believe it because it's much easier to process and deal with as soon as you start trying to give flimsy reasons and um, you know, cliches then you know, players will hunt through to the weakest point and, and become fixated on that so it's, yeah, it's one thing about dropping them, but again, as I said, it's then about making sure they are... At the time, you can give a myriad of reasons, but all the player hears and all that really matters is you were in the team and now you're not in the team. So it's about then following up. They go back to state cricket, and that's hard sometimes because you go back to state cricket, these guys are then expected to be probably in the handful of best players in yep. their team. So most often they're in a leadership, some type of leadership role, whether official or unofficial. But in their mind, it's like... You know, quite often they're nowhere a little bit. So you've got to make sure that they've got lots of support um, and, and that's probably a really key time to make sure that's when the communication needs to be good, reiterating the two or three things that they need to improve to get back into the team, uh, making sure that they're getting the, the mental and physical support around them to, to, so that they can perform. I think we're done. Awesome. Thank you, George. All the best. First of all, congratulations on a fantastic career, Cheers. one that you probably didn't envision. No, and it's, that's it. It snuck up on me a bit, and it's only now I'm starting to look back. And, um, yeah, because you, you, I mean, it, it's funny when you're actually living it. There's always the next thing, your next goal, your next tournament, your next... So you're only ever looking forward. Um, but it's good exercise every now and then to stop and think of the good times. Mm. And I can't wait to uh, grill you in your next job when you make all those uh, selection Just calls. let me know when I make mistakes and I'll... <laughs> You'll know. Fix them up. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. All right. All the best, mate. Thank Cheers, you. Cheers, mate. Thank you.